What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the What's Up Finance Podcast, a podcast where we discuss what's up with the market, the economy, and any other worthwhile topics and discussions. My name is Matthew Campbell, and today we are happy to welcome Josh Lippman and my business partner and co-podcast host, Camden Elkanati. How's it going, Josh? It's going well. And uh, yeah, my name is Josh Flitman, and to introduce myself once again, I'm currently a senior at UCSB and uh, soon to graduate, majoring in econ. Uh, always love talking about finance, have a deep passion for it, and excited to join my friends Matthew and Camden to discuss some recent developments. Awesome. Thank you, Josh. It's great to have you back on the show. So today we'll be giving an overview of what has happened in finance in the last couple of months. Everything from inflation to allocation to what is taking place in the economy. We'll also discuss our predictions on how we think the future will look and what assets will be performing well in the short term. First, we'll go over notes taken from the last couple of weeks to give the audience a briefing on what has happened. And then we'll do a Q&A of some questions I have. This is going to be a very informal conversation, and topics we'll be discussing is gold, the economy at large, the market at large, private equity, the virus at large, inflation, and the trade-off between social reform versus ESG investing versus investing for return, and how endowments are currently uh, allocating their portfolios and how that has shifted from 1986 to the current 2020. So first we'll be talking about gold. Something very interesting with gold is gold and real yields have an inverse relationship. When real yields rise higher than gold, which pays no income, this could be expected to fall. This is true even if real yields are rising from deeply negative territory. To explain the intuition between, behind this, gold is widely regarded as a hedge against central banking irresponsibility. Recent speculation is that the Fed may not print money and cut rates with quite the gay abandon that they have been assumed. This may or may not be good news for the U.S. economy, but it raises real yields and for investors in gold and risk assets who might benefit from currency debasement, it is definitely bad news. Lower real yields make gold, which pays no yield, that much more attractive. So a brief correction in real yields helps to explain a brief correction in gold. What are your views on gold as an investment? And do you think to make a balanced portfolio during this time, you need gold in your portfolio? Yeah, I mean, it always depends on the direction of the market and the direction of the real rates. So real rates are projected to either stay where they are currently or rise, which doesn't make gold a good investment. Um, so there's always the, the possibility, in fact, the certainty of near-term or future uh, economic downturn as a result of the markets not accurately reflecting the impact that the virus has had and the downturn has had on fundamentals and companies were most likely due for a downturn and a possible downturn related just to the uh, to the outcome of the election depending on what it is um, there is the possibility that that has a positive effect on gold 
Because outside of just the relation to interest rates, there's also the effect that the uh, the world at large and that uh, economic events have on gold alone. So that could have a positive effect on gold, but by and large, it looks like gold um, is not as good an investment or a hedge as uh, it used to be due to that real interest rate correlation. Now, to hedge your portfolio, if you say gold is not the best uh, asset to use, what would you use instead of that? Uh, it depends on where the market is headed. Uh, can't say with any certainty what is a good hedge right now. Um, Year to date, uh, gold has approximately turned around 23%. And at its height in the end of July, beginning of August, it had performed around 35%. Um, and it's currently trading at $1,885 per ounce. Um, with inflation um, being discussed a lot recently and with uh, the feds trying to target 2% inflation or higher, how do you think gold will react to that? Um, well, if inflation rises, then that would lower the real, yet, real rate and that would send gold higher. Um, so yeah, inflation is one of the factors that plays into it. But with the nominal rate staying where it is, uh, that would also have the effect of you know, the real rate not rising and not having a significant effect on gold. Or if inflation stays the same or goes lower, then uh, that would have a negative effect on gold. So there's a lot of different uh, converging and factors that affect the price of gold right now that cause a lot of uncertainty as far as where it's headed and whether it would be a good hedge. So those are all things that should be uh, acknowledged in considering it as a hedge. Mm -hmm. Now to speak on the economy, uh, the recent FOMC meetings um, have been not so well to the market effect whereas investors have been selling during the last FOMC meeting. Jerome Powell has focused on two broad things. The first is the unemployment rate, and the second is uh, inflation. They want to increase inflation to around 2% or higher, and they're shooting for higher than 2% now, and they're focusing on lowering the unemployment rate. They've been doing this by buying and selling uh, assets as well as buying corporate bonds and they're probably the largest treasury holder as well as they are one of the largest investors in a lot of corporate debt uh, like Apple. Jerome Powell has driven home the point that the Fed will be moved by progress in the virus and that little else matters for now. So their main goal is to see how the virus progresses and to see if there's going to be a vaccine in the next year. Issues such as liquidity, government actions, monetary policy mistakes, recessions, or inflationary spikes are the culprits that trigger the reversion in sentiment. And wealth has become far more concentrated in the U.S. since Volcker and Reagan. And lenient taxation of companies is common to all major development, developed economies, 
what is your view on the current monetary policy taking effect and also the lack of fiscal policy being implemented? Yeah, so it's a mix of what we need right now to prop the economy back up and ensure that businesses aren't being lost and that households aren't losing income and to some degree it's necessary but it can't last forever and it has a big negative effect on market and asset valuations and particularly in equities where uh, we can't look at anything from a value perspective and it creates a bubble in key markets like equities that uh, where we can't ascertain uh, how big that bubble is and what the fallout is going to look like once it pops. So there's the risk of creating a bubble in those markets uh, mixed with the, the need and the requirement to ensure that uh, individuals and households and businesses aren't uh, adversely affected by the pandemic and the closing down of businesses. Because there's no other time in history that compares to where we are now, where our downturn is caused by legislation and our own uh, shutting down businesses and ensuring that they stay shut down. So, uh, you know, the the, mo the most important thing is that in the near term and with as little effect of causing that bubble as possible, we ensure that uh, people aren't adversely affected by shutting down businesses. And do you think um, the previous stimulus package implemented and executed had a uh, positive effect on where the economy is going and the positive effect on human beings um, with their standard of living and being able to afford uh, during this time because of the lockdown? It had a more positive effect than if we had nothing. Uh, there were some issues with it. Um, money being allocated to institutions and people that would have benefited less than others. And that's something to consider in our next round of stimulus, which we likely are not going to have anytime soon. But when it Why comes, is that? Uh, because of that exact conflict in uh, ensuring that it gets passed and the... And not only that, um, if they choose to execute another one or two or three trillion dollar stimulus package, then the U.S. deficit will rise and the U.S.'s balance sheet will rise tremendously mm -hmm. um, and it would be nearly impossible to pay off a eight, nine, ten trillion dollar deficit. Growth yeah. rates will have to be tremendously high um, and inflation will have to surge to maybe double digits to be able to afford interest rates uh, and interest payments. Yeah, exactly. No, that's a reason that it can't last forever. But in the period that we're in right now, uh, our most important goal is ensuring that uh, that growth can continue. And that's where the stimulus comes in, mm -hmm. that we can initiate the growth that we had before the lockdown started. I'm glad you brought up the balance sheet because last I saw the Fed's balance sheet is over $7 trillion. And now do you guys think there's any inherent risk with that? Or do you think that if we, like you said, the legislation changes, we can get back to business as normal, we can reach a period of sustained growth. Do you think that that'll end up not being a problem or do you think that will play, that'll have problems for years to come? I think modern day, uh, 
finance and economics is based off of monetize, monetizing debt. And without debt, um, you can't really function as a society. That's why there's, there's debt cycles. That's why we go through a business cycle and have corrections and have depressions and have recessions because of debt. And we can only perform so well and grow so well because of debt. That's my opinion. Yeah, no, that's absolutely right. So the question is then how much debt, right? And that's what they have to figure out. And that's why I think that they've been hesitant on passing and executing, executing another uh, stimulus package. Yeah. No, that's definitely a big risk. Is we can't, the risk of increasing that deficit and that debt load. Um, but again, it comes down to the question of, because one of the ways that we pay off that debt load is through our own growth rates. And if we're not growing, we can't pay off the debt that we have now. So what's that right differential to strike between getting back to the growth that we had and ensuring that our own deficit and debt load isn't so high that once we achieve that growth rate, we can't pay it back? Absolutely. So it is known and stated that we have entered a recession earlier this year in the end of February, beginning of March, and this is what NBR came out with. Um, and this was duly caused by the government initiating a lockdown on all economic activity. And this has caused a sell-off in equity, as well as bond markets slowing down in volume, and then uh, just the overall market activity going to a halt. Now that the economic activity is slowly increasing, what is your opinion on this disrupted uh industries like cruise lines and airlines do you think they'll be able to come back uh no not in the not with the way that they currently operate so the fallout from the the conditions that we have right now the virus people staying apart from each other wearing masks and the sort of social demeanor that we have right now i think that's going to persist for years to come in a way that's going to negatively affect those industries. Less people going on cruises, less people going to hotels, casinos, and resorts. Uh, I think people are still going to want to congregate and meet with each other and socialize. Um, and we can already see people doing that right now. Uh, if you go outside and look at where p most people congregate, it's usually in public parks, and uh, you know on the streets the beach, but yeah. exactly but not in venues and so there's still that stigma attached with the venues and I think that's going to persist yeah I think you're right I think that the businesses that like you mentioned Camden they're going to have to adapt new business models or maybe a lot of the ones that have been around for a while are going to go away we'll see new smaller more lean companies start up and be able to reach higher profit margins those yeah. industries will probably look different in the years to come uh, another thing that you know the, the companies within those industries that would uh, do well or uh, outperform all the others are those that are going to adopt automation and adapt to that changing social demeanor. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So the three biggest things discussed today are politics, who's going to win the next election. Second is... Uh, lockdowns in the virus, will lockdowns be extended and will there be a vaccine um, coming out soon and will there be a second wave of uh, virus infections? 
And the third is low interest rates. Low interest rates have been around for some time now, but they've been more dramatically decreasing and going negative in some parts of the world, like in Europe. And they're very, very low in the United States, close to zero. Now, what are your thoughts on zero or very low interest rates? And do you think that they'll continue to be this low for the future, the short term, um, as well as the long term? And what assets do you think benefit from lower interest rates? And what assets do you think uh, are, don't benefit from lower interest rates? Yes, short term, yes, as far as your first question goes. First, short term, yes, rates are going to stay low. I mean, Jerome Powell and the Fed have already confirmed that. And it's what we need right now, or as, uh, as far as uh, stimulus goes, what we need to initiate spending. Uh, long term, no, it's not sustainable at all. Rates will rise once we recover and come out of this, and then we have growth and our economy expands, and then we have a need to uh, use the rates to put a halt on you know, debt growth and inflation. But we're far from that point, and that could be five, seven years out into the future. Um, as far as inflation goes, and our current rate of inflation, or interest rate is what you mentioned, and how that affects assets. I mean, right now, as we can see, the worst performing uh, asset as a result of rates is bonds. Uh, government bonds, and uh, most uh, risk-free bonds are doing really poorly as a result, uh, price-wise. So those are not good hedges, uh, not good assets to have. Gold is another one, but there's so many conflicting factors that affect it. It's very likely that it will not be a good hedge, if not decline, in the coming months or year uh, because of that real interest rate relationship. Uh, so those are assets that I would say are most effectively, most significantly affected by interest rates. That's a great response. And I think the biggest companies that are being punished and are really hurting today are pension funds. Um, as well as insurance companies because um, of the fact that interest rates are so low so they can't really get any return from uh, fixed income or bonds mm -hmm. um, as well as uh, with the risk of inflation increasing in the future if they have a huge allocation towards cash that will burn away as well um, and pension funds how they operate is they need to start contributing to all of their uh, I guess shareholders or people that are part of that pension and there's a huge risk that these pension funds won't perform and won't grow faster than what they give out. And it's a very, very risky environment. Yeah, definitely. And they're underfunded. That was one of the most uh, significant risks that we had as far as our economy goes before the lockdown even started, is that companies don't have enough money to fund their, uh, their pension fund. And that's a great transition into a study uh, by David Swenson. And, and they basically analyzed endowments, uh, university endowments, non-Ivy and Ivy League endowments from the periods of 1986 to 2020. 
And from their research, they have discovered that the endowment allocations of equities, domestic equities and fixed income, have been falling for the last 30 to 40 years. And what has taken over that allocation is real estate and alternative assets, such as venture capital, leveraged buyouts, real estate, natural resources, and hedge funds. What do you think of this? And do you think that uh, they played this correctly? Yeah, so those are clearly riskier assets. And before the, the lockdown, it made sense to transition into more growth-oriented or risk assets. Uh, right now, more caution, I think, would be prudent uh, because of the uncertainty regarding the market, the direction of the economy, and you know, what's going to happen in the near future. Um, yeah. And another uh, interesting aspect of pension funds and those endowments and I believe this is a topic that we're going to discuss, is their orientation towards ESG-type investments. Yes. And uh, that, if not done correctly, uh, could have a negative effect on returns as well. So yes. it's smart to, to have some caution around that as well. I believe a big reason why these endowment funds started allocating towards more alternative investments is because... Private equity is a way that these fund managers can achieve more alpha, and uh, it, it's very smart. If you if you have access to the VC world and the PE world, you're able to access one of some of the hottest startups in the world, and you'll be able to gain that return. And even this year, we've seen that a lot of companies are going from public to private, and a lot of these private companies are trying to not go public because they see that it benefits them more to stay private. Mm -hmm. um, to move forward, this helps us transition into the discussion between the trade-off of social reform versus ESG investing versus investing for return. So this year, uh, we've seen a lot of discussion on how companies focusing on profit and earnings per share is not that important anymore. And social reform is kind of making companies start focusing on uh, society, their customers, the environment, uh, social standards, etc. So what do, you, what do you think of this, this trade-off? Um, do companies, can, can companies still get a uh, return even if they want to focus on helping society at large? Sure. Um, at the end of the day, earnings matter. And whether it comes to more ESG-oriented company or otherwise, you know, any uh, good that they do or fallout as a result of a controversy associated with the company, um, Long term, if it doesn't affect earnings, it's not going to affect the price. Very long term. Short term, there may be fluctuations. And that may be what this strategy is focused on, is capturing some of those short term fluctuations uh, with the, you know, the real goal and mission of allocating investments towards you know, more philanthropic and uh, beneficial uh, assets as far as society goes 
But long-term earnings matter, and it doesn't matter whether it's an ESG investment or any other type of investment. There may also be uh, more of a focus now on, and especially if these are pension funds and endowments that have political leanings or goals, uh, ESG is going to be a much more uh, focused on strategy, and that's outside of trying to generate returns. Um, That's associated with the goals of the endowment. Uh, But outside of that, uh, the most important thing is earnings. And, you know, short-term ESG can outperform because of that image. Uh, But long-term, whether it's ESG or anything else, earnings is the most important factor in value. I would completely agree. I would also add, I'm glad you brought up long-term emphasis on earnings because I do think that maybe long-term, some of these ESG um, companies will have a little bit of an edge because if they're adjusting their policies now to be more orientated for social reform or for the environment, we're seeing a trend in policies around the world where companies will have to move that way. Like California just signed in or the governor about to sign his executive order that will make sure that new auto manufacturers in California can't sell gas-powered vehicles. The companies that are preparing for that now will probably have an edge in their product or in their service down the line, which long-term, their earnings will be better. Yeah. I think that that'll play big too. Also, long-term, there won't be earnings if there's not an inhabitable planet. So I think that those two points um, put an emphasis on the long-term of ESG companies and earnings. And I think that ESG investing equals um, return because you just think about it. Nowadays, what really matters is your public image and your reputation as a company. Um, If the public gets a hold of of something bad that you've done towards an employee within your company or something that you've done terribly for the environment, your reputation will get hurt. And because of that dink in your reputation, your stock price will fall. So I really think that nowadays public image is very important and public image is being related to having um, a company that benefits society, benefits the environment, and isn't corrupt and taking bribes from different government organizations. So um, that was a great discussion. Now to move on to more generic questions. Retailers have been more hesitant in spending, um, and you've seen this in saving rates going up and saving rates being the highest that they have been in a long time. And this is a good thing. That means that consumers are are being more cautious and they're holding on to their money. And um, from assortment of different studies, you've seen that actually retailers and consumers are choosing to Uh, spend money on paying down their debt instead of creating more debt or or buying just for for pleasure. And that's also a good thing for society. But do you think that retailers can rebuild broken shopping patterns? Do you think that there will be uh, a disruption for uh, stores and restaurants that you have to go in and actually spend your money? Or do you think that these retailers can actually... uh, change and adapt to the current times? Well, they could definitely change and adapt, but it's a matter of changing you know, storefronts, uh, how customers interact with their stores, and 
adopting online shopping because no matter how much they change uh, in-store interaction, uh, the that whole dynamic is, dynamic is going to be displaced by online shopping and getting items delivered. Uh, there was already an increasing demand for it before the lockdown started uh, for food, for retail, and so that's not going to change. Um, and yeah, there is a significant risk that within the next decade, or even shorter, that uh, retail shopping gets completely displaced by that. And this explains um, the the economy as well as the market where growth stocks actually have been defensive during this time. So tech has been considered as a defensive play, mm -hmm. and that's why they have outperformed all different classes, whereas value stocks have been lagging. And that is, that is basically why the behavior of, of consumers have, have changed. And that's why value stocks have not been performing, and that's why tech stocks have been considered more defensive. Tech yeah. considering e-commerce as well as software you don't need as much labor. You don't need as as many employees uh, because your software is was basically driving earnings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I wouldn't characterize that difference in performance based off just the fact that it's value versus uh, growth. The reason that these are growth stocks at all, and that they're outperforming uh, as far as tech goes, is because of the real need and utility of. Uh, the tech products and services right now, especially those that are related to automation, that uh, help companies and help individuals, uh, regardless of whether there's a virus or not, or otherwise uh, help them adapt to and overcome the lockdown, uh, which is what most of tech does, particularly automation. And just most tech services are things that we need as far as getting uh, you know, food delivered, uh, having apps. Uh, there was an interesting uh, study, not really a study, but uh, the someone named Oswath Damodaran, who's considered the Dean of Valuation at NYU. Uh, he teaches a valuation class, very well known for doing that and his thoughts uh, in finance. And he did an at-home study where he tested the degree to which he was within the ecosystem of the FANG stocks throughout the day. And I don't remember the exact number. And what I mean by that was uh, not necessarily using those products, but within their, their field of control, meaning that they were tracking where he was, what he was buying, or being acknowledged by them in some way. And the what he found was that like between 80 to 90% or somewhere around that number, uh, he was in within the ecosystem of those stocks. So, you know, it's a matter of the utility of tech stocks. That's partially what causes them to grow or be growth stocks. And uh, the control and reach that they have, considering their utility in our society. How do you explain the recent sell-off in tech? The so a few things: individual companies and individual circumstances. For example, 
right now, uh, a lot of companies' performance is based off hype or image and short-term whims in market psychology. That can't be, uh, you know, really predicted or explained. It's just the short-term whims of the market. We've seen that in a few key tech stocks. Tesla, for example, uh, that could have something to do with it. The prospect of the market going down as a whole, and as I referred to before, the, the fact that we're in a bubble in the equities market, uh, you can't really look at anything from a value perspective because uh, key valuation metrics don't reflect historically uh, where we should be at and the prospect of that changing and that we and that the downturn accurately or that valuations and prices accurately reflect the impact that the downturn has had which currently doesn't uh, that could have caused the sell-off in tech uh, but it's impossible to isolate one key reason reason for it in my opinion this podcast, we talked about the current market and economic conditions that the U.S. has faced. We talked about um, the lockdown, the virus, the implications towards the market and the economy as a whole. My prediction is uh, there's a high risk towards a downturn um, due to uh, the virus as well as uh, politics. Um, the election is uh, about a month and a half away, and there's going to be a lot of volatility from that, uh, as well as the virus. Um, winter is coming, it's getting colder. Uh, I can't predict the virus going away anytime soon without a vaccine in play. But thank you, Josh, and thank you, Matthew, for joining us. Yep, thank you, Cameron. Uh, great podcast. Thanks for being on our show again, Josh. Yeah, uh, thank you for having me. Awesome. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's What's Up podcast. We'd love to hear your feedback and to hear what's up in your lives. Feel free to shoot us a quick email in the ad- to the address in the podcast notes below. And then, of course, as you guys know, Josh, Cameron, and I are also work on an initiative called Panther Capital. If you enjoyed what we talked about today and have any interest in investing in the stock market finance, then please also shoot us an email and to learn how you can get involved in that initiative. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, thanks for having me.